Okay, today we begin tefillah, and uh, we'll start off with an introduction to what is tefillah, and then next week we'll go into, we'll get right into the Shemana Estre and understand the text and what are we saying and why are we saying it and how does it, so to speak, work. So the first thing you need to know about Jewish prayer is there's no such thing. Jews don't pray. To pray is a non-Jewish word. And it is not an accurate translation of the word lehit palel. Uh, it's not even a translation of lehit palel. It, it, uh, when we get down to the difference between to pray and lehit palel, we will see that these are radically different uh, experiences with radically different interests. Okay, um, to pray is a problem for a number of reasons. Right. The first thing is. Praying is predicated on an opinion or, or a, an assumption that I'm going to change Hashem's mind. And that already is philosophically seriously problematic. Right? Why? Uh, well, why do I change my mind? Um, let's say I'm on my way to, uh, I'm taking my family out to dinner for a Chinese dinner. And on my way, my friend uh, sees me and says, how are you doing? What's going on? I said, well, actually, we're going out to dinner. Would you like to join us? And he said, oh, yeah, where are you going? I said, we're going to Mitsuyan, right, uh, Chinese food. And he says, Mitsuyan, they just locked their hexer, right? They just lost their hexer. They're no longer kosher. No, they're no longer kosher. So what do I do? I still go there anyways. No, I changed my mind because I got new information. That's why people change their mind, because they get new information, now, why is that therefore problematic when we apply that to Hashem? Yes, yes Tani? God can't be getting the information all Right, Hashem is all-knowing. What would it mean to give an all-knowing being new information? Right. In addition to that, it's, it's, it's philosophically problematic to even talk about God changing. Right? Because what does it take to change? Well, first of all, stimulus, something moves you, and we're talking about the prime mover who moves all and is not moved, right? Beyond that, in order to change, you have to be in time, right? Time is change. But if Hashem transcends time, then what would it mean that God was like this now, but He was like that before, and He's going to be this way later? What's that supposed to mean? Okay? Uh, so, this isn't really right now a talk about God. It's just the problems in the normative way that people think about Hashem, uh, they're confused. Okay? So, um, but prayer is about trying to get God to change his mind. And it's to try and get God to want what I want. Right? And that's also pretty problematic. Why? You should want what God wants. Why should I want what God wants? How do I know what's good for me? I mean, I'm praying for that job. Isn't that a little stupid to pray for that job? Why is that stupid to pray for that job? Because <coughs> what if it's not a good job? <laughs> you think it's a good job. You know, praying that she says yes and, says, and marries me. That could be maybe the worst thing in my life, but I think it's really great right now. So that itself is pretty... Um, uh, it's pretty haughty to think that you know what's good for you and you should be convincing Hashem to want what you want. It would make more sense that you would convince yourself to want what Hashem wants. Make sense? So, so prayer in the normative way is, um, it also feels like Hashem is holding out on me. You know, it's like manager guy and his business is falling apart. So he turns to Hashem and says, Hashem, um, my company is going bankrupt. Uh, and um, you know I have uh, seven children. I mean, Baruch Hashem. Uh, you know that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I can't support my children if my company crashes. So please, Hashem, save my company. Now, if Hashem were to respond to this guy... What do you think Hashem would say? I think this is what Hashem would say. Hashem would say, well, uh, Yossi, uh, well, thank you for that information. I didn't know that. <laughs> that your uh, business is falling apart. 
in addition to that, I'm not sure if you learned this in yeshiva. My guess is they taught you in the yeshiva that everything that happens in the world, I make happen. Right? I am responsible for everything that happens. So I'm the one that's making your company go bankrupt. Uh-huh. Also, I don't know if you learned this, but um, did they ever tell you, Shiva, that everything I do is for the best? Right? Rachamava kol masav, tov Hashem l'kol, Hashem is good to all. Rachamava kol masav, is unconditional love is applied to everyone. So, so actually, not only am I making your company fall apart, but I'm actually doing you a big favor. Right? Because everything I do is only and always for the good. And then you made another comment that I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be picky, but it was an insult. You said, God, please have compassion on my children. What is if I don't have compassion on your children? Did you think there was ever a moment that my compassion was eclipsed? What are you talking about? How can you, and and, and it, it almost sounds like you have more compassion for your children than me. That you're telling me to have compassion. Let me just tell you where compassion comes from in the first place. Whatever compassion you have in, the, in your heart only and always just comes from me. So I'm really having a hard time. What exactly are you saying to me in your prayer? What do you think Yossi would say? He said, is there anybody else up there that I could talk to? Right? <laughs> Another manager? Can I talk to the manager? Right? So when you begin to think philosophically within the context of the principles of Jewish faith, you will see that prayer is heretical. And that's why people are having a hard time with it. Right? Because something inside them, whether they figure that out or not, intellectually, philosophically, something inside them isn't making sense. Right? I spent a lot of time as a kid begging and bargaining with God. Please, God, take care of my parents. I was a bit of a neurotic, worried kid. I, I grew up uh, with an intravenous connected to the television set. And I watched a lot of shows, and a lot of shows are all about you know, spies and tragedy and terrible things happening. Even comedy was about terrible things happening to people that people thought was really funny. And I never thought that was very funny, right? And uh, so I grew up neurotic that this is what the world is really like. Now I know that this is the way the world really is like. But at the time, I was just being neurotic. And I worried that when my parents would go out and leave me locked in the closet, I would worry that someone would not take me out of the closet. And I would pray to God. When my parents wouldn't come home exactly the moment they said, I'd start getting worried and I'd start praying to God and I'd say, please God, bring my parents home. Please God, I'll be the best kid. Please God, I'll stop tearing toilet paper. I promise. Shabbos, I will stop it. I will, do, I will give it up. You know, and I came up with all these things and sure enough, my parents would show up two minutes later and I felt he ripped me off. He got me. He probably stalled them, put a couple of red lights in their way, right, on the traffic, so that he would get a better deal out of me. And I felt that God ripped me off. But then I knew that he could hear my thoughts. And then I got really worried that he would kill me. And so that was it. That was my life with God as a child. It was I had to beg and bargain and constantly do these deals with him to take care of me and my parents and this and that, and I'll do this if you do that. And that's why we've lost a lot of Jews, right? We've lost a lot of Jews because they don't know how to make bargains with God. No, we've lost a lot of Jews because it's not making sense to them. They're asking good questions. They're not getting good answers, or maybe they're not even getting any answers at all. I had a friend whose daughter got thrown out of high school. I happened to have shown up for that Shabbat. They were very happy. Rabbi Aaron is here. He's going to save our daughter uh, because she just got called to thrown out of high school. Okay, so I'm sitting down with Alicia and I said, okay, Alicia, what happened? She said, well, every day we daven uh, and um, I come, I open up my book, but I don't daven. Well, the teacher noticed that I wasn't davening and came up to me and said, Alicia, you're not davening. And I said, well, I don't want to daven. The teacher said, well, I appreciate that, but you have to daven because that's the policy of the school. Well, so I said to her, well, I could understand that the policy of school is I have to come to Davin, but what's happening between me and God is my business, and I don't make any issue of it. You see, I'm standing here quietly. I open up the sitter. Nobody else in the room is noticing that I'm not davening. It's just you. Right? I'm not trying to make a statement to anybody. I'm not trying to incite anybody else. I, but I don't want to daven. 
right? So the teacher says, well, I really honor that, Alicia, but you have to daven. So he says, well, I have to come, but you can't force me to daven. The teacher said, Alicia, I can force you to daven. If you don't daven, I will throw you out of the school. Right? To that, Alicia said, you can't force me to daven. You don't, why would I want to just do lip service? You don't want me to just do lip service, do you? And the parents and the teacher said, you have to daven. Well, she said, I won't. So she threw out of school. And I showed up. And I didn't know what to say to her parents. Now, I don't know the other side of the story. I don't, know what the, I don't know the side of the teacher. This is Alicia's story, as she sees it. Right? Now, what am I supposed to say to the parents? You're, if this is really what happened, your daughter has tremendous integrity. Right? And she is a, a, a seeker of truth, doesn't want to be a fake. And, um, but why didn't the teacher say, you know, Alicia, I, you know, I, I hear you. You know, I hear what you're feeling. How about if you and I pick one prayer from the sitter? We'll go over it. And you'll understand it. And you'll just say that one prayer for two minutes. I'm sure Alicia would have said yes to that. Right? But the teacher didn't want to do that. Right? Didn't make that deal with her. Didn't make that offer to her. Why not? Why don't you think the teacher, I mean, it seems to me a pretty simple thing. Kid doesn't want to daven, says it doesn't mean anything to her. So help her mean something with it. Take, take one piece and explain it and don't just say that. Right? Why do you think the teacher didn't do that? Well, we don't know for sure. Right? It could be that the teacher doesn't want to put in extra time. Or could be that the teacher doesn't really care. It's the policy of the school. You've got to show up and it's not my business to teach you how to write. I don't know what it's wrong. I don't know why. Uh, that girl went off to Derek for a little while and she came back. Um, she now lives in Meir Sharim. She, she shaved her head. No, I'm just joking. But um, she, uh, she's from girl. But that's because she, thank God, gave Judaism a second chance. Right? A second chance. So I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, that uh, they don't like to daven, right? Well, I don't, I understand why you don't like to daven. You don't know what you're doing. How can you like doing something you don't know what you're doing? Now, if you think you know what you're doing and you enjoy that, great, right? But some of us are challenged by the experience and don't find it philosophically sensible, rational. What am I doing? What am I saying? Why am I saying it? So the first thing you need to know about Jewish prayer is there's no such thing. Jews don't pray. What do we do? Something called lehit palel. And it does not translate to prayer. By the way, what does the word prayer literally mean? The word prayer comes from the Latin word which means to beg. That's what prayer is. It's begging God. I'm begging. I'm groveling. I'm trying to convince God, please God, Please, please, don't do this to us. Please, please, have compassion. Please, please. Right. So what does Lehit Palel mean? So before we understand what Lehit Palel means, what we have to do, we have to go to the root of the word. What is the root of the word? Palel. But before we even go to the root of the word, we can look at what's called the conjugation of the world. word. Okay. Conjugation means certain verbs are formatted in a different way. When you have a tough, the T sound in a word. What does that mean? If I am malbish my son, then I just dressed my son. But if I need mitlabesh, then what did I do? I dressed myself. Okay. Well, so right away, we've got something very interesting. Before even knowing what the word poel means, we see that the word lehit poel is already telling you something about the activity. What's it telling you? It's reflexive and it means what? It means you're doing something to yourself. Okay. Prayer is about doing something to God. Lehit palel is about doing something to myself. Do you get that? Prayer is trying to get God to hear my prayers. Lehit palel is trying to get me to hear my prayers. Hashem hears your prayers. I don't have to get Him to hear my prayers. The problem is, am I hearing my prayers? Right? Prayer is trying to change God. Lehit Palel is trying to change me. Well, let's not go there right now. That's right. We won't go there right now. That's a huge difference, right? That's why 
when people daven, they kind of think, well, it doesn't matter if I mean it. It doesn't really matter if I'm listening to it. Right? As long as, but that, you know, if that's the case, what, what I didn't understand as a child is I thought rabbis, their job was to call out page numbers because that's really what I saw rabbis do. We went to a, uh, didn't, we didn't go to an orthodox shul and all I knew what, what the rabbi do is he would get up and he would say, page 21. I thought, wow. That was really good how he did that. Whoa. I, that's, that, I heard he makes a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe I could pursue a career call, you know, calling out pages. right? And then he would put people to sleep for, for 10 minutes. That was also his job. He would give a sermon, which was part of helping people sleep. You know, and get a little rest before, you know, on the day of rest. I thought that was good. So I could put people to sleep and I could tell them names and pages. I think I'll be a rabbi. You know, that's what I thought rabbis did. But what I didn't understand as a child is why don't we just do that to Hashem? Every day we pray, say, page 18, page 20. Right? Why not just call out the pages? Or even better than that, why waste our time? Why not just say to Hashem, Hashem, you know what we said yesterday? Ditto for today. Like what, what, why am I saying this? Hashem's heard this over and over again. What's the point of saying it? Okay. Well, Lahit Palel is already cluing you in that this is a self-directed activity. I'm not trying to change Hashem. I'm trying to change myself. I'm not in any way saying that Hashem's not listening. Right? Hashem is listening. Right? But you don't need to change Him. You don't even want to change him. Because Hashem, so to speak, made up his mind long time ago to give you only and always the best. And if you're not getting the best in the format that you like, then you have to change. But Hashem only sends blessing. And always sends blessing. Only. And the question is, are you receptive to that blessing? Are you aligned with it? Are you tuned into it? And Lahit Palel is to transform yourself to be receptive to the blessings Hashem sends you. Right? Perhaps I already gave you this metaphor. Imagine a bat sitting on my shoulder looking at that light bulb over there. When I look at the light bulb, I see light. When he looks at the light bulb, what does the bat see? He sees darkness. Right? What? Because the bat's eyeball cannot handle light. That's why bats fly around at night. For them, night is day, and day is night. Because when light hits its retina, it closes down. It can't take the light, and therefore it experiences darkness. Now, if I were to increase the intensity of the light, what would the bat see? Greater and greater darkness. And if I had a discussion with the bat, which sometimes I do, um, the one on my shoulder, and I would say, you know, bat, when it's the most darkest is in essence the greatest light. What would he think? You're crazy. The greatest light is behind the darkest times of your life. It's you blocking out the light. You are blocking out the light. Okay? So too, Lehit Palel means we're going to, through this act of Lehit Palel, we are going to engineer our lives to be more receptive to Hashem's blessing so that we can experience the light as it is rather than experience the light as is, is darkness. Right? And we'll talk more about that in the future, but yeah. So then, it, so then why do we like say to Liam or pray for someone to get healthier? Isn't it like to do special saying, oh God, you gave this person like this disease. Like, I'm going to answer that question, but hold on to it because there's more to develop before we can answer the question. Because now I want to talk about what Palel means. Before we talk Palel, yes, what's your question? Um, so it seems... To me, like what you were saying, everything was predetermined. No, no, what's predetermined is Hashem's going to only give you good. Hashem tov. That's it. Hashem is good and only good, always good, and always sends you good. If the good is feeling bad, that's because of you or because of us. Something's blocking it out. Think of it like a radio. In this room, 
there is music playing. Does anybody hear the music? No. Okay. Thank you. Just want to check your mental health. Okay. <laughs> Nobody hears the music. Okay. But if I took out my little radio, turned it on, tuned it in, you would see that actually there is music in the room. Right? We're just not tuned into it. Right? So too. Torah says, Malay kol ha'aretz kvodo. The glory and the presence and the honor of Hashem is everywhere, always, everywhere. You're just not getting reception. Right? <coughs> so too, is there more God at the at, at Temple Mount and at the Kotel? Is there more Hashem over there? No. no. Better reception. Right? <coughs> Better reception, exactly. Right? Hashem, ontologically, so to speak, is equally present everywhere, believe it or not, even in the subways of New York City. Right? Even there. But the reception isn't the same. Just like there was a little boy who used to daven in the, um, in the forest. And the father was a little nervous having his son go to the forest, but the little boy would go to the forest and pray. The father said, you know, Johnny, you don't have to go to the forest to pray. You, Hashem is everywhere. right? He's the same everywhere. So Johnny said, I know Hashem is the same everywhere. I'm not the same everywhere. Right? Okay? And so it's about reception. When your cell phone, which you obviously don't have right now, right, has those little bars, there's certain places where there is reception. There's certain places that there isn't reception. But it's reception. Now, it's amazing in the Ramban Shul, my phone gets no reception, but I see there's some people that actually do get reception. Those are the tzaddikim phones, right? But whatever it is, there's different reception. You, through davening, in fact, through all of Judaism, through learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and davening, you are engineering your life so that you can be more receptive to the bracha, the blessing of Hashem's presence in your life. And that's up to you to do that. Okay? So let's go to what the word palel means. Okay? Because there's only light, there's only bracha, Hashem is sending us only good. But, when that light bulb hits someone who's not receptive to the good, that good experientially, subjectively, is transformed into an experience of darkness. And the bat is in a dark world, which at the very root of the dark world is what? Light. And we need to help him. If that bat were dove and come to daven three times a day, but I can't get him, and he even goes to the Muslim thing, it hasn't helped him at all. Right? So, 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 so what does the word palel mean? Okay? Well, if you want to know what a word means, you go in the Torah and you find where it is used. Right? Okay? So we find the word Palel in the story of Yaakov. Right? Yaakov um, is um, about to die. Yosef knows that and he brings his children for a bracha from Yaakov. Over there, Yaakov says, Lo Palalti, I never Paleled that I would have ever seen you, your face. I would have ever seen your face. And yet I have been granted and blessed to see even the face of your children. Fill in the blank. What do you think he said at that very dramatic, very emotional moment? Right? Yes. Believe. I didn't believe that I would have seen your face. What else? Well, I think he might have hoped. But maybe. Thought. Never would have thought. I never would have dreamed. I never would have anticipated. This is what Rashi says. Lo maleni libi lachshav machshavot. I didn't fill my heart to think the thoughts that I'd ever see your face again. Okay. I never would have dreamed. I never would have <coughs> anticipated. I never would have envisioned. Right? So now you know what Lehit Palel is. Lehit Palel is an exercise of self-inducing anticipation, vision, dreaming. In fact, in the shul, the fellow who 
leads the service is referred to in Hebrew as the Chazan. Now, what does Chazan have to do with leading a service? What does Chazan literally mean? It comes from the Hebrew word Chazon. What does Chazon mean? Vision. So tell me, what is the Chazan leading us in at Shul? What are we doing there? What? That's right. We are, in, we are filling our hearts with visions of what could be. What? what we anticipate. What we believe could happen. Do you follow that? Yeah. It's very different. Right. Very, very different experience. Lihit Palel means that I am going to intentionally fill my heart to think those thoughts, to dream those dreams. And that's what's amazing about the Jewish people. We never stop dreaming. There's a story about Napoleon. You know who Napoleon is, the founder of that dessert. So Napoleon uh, had a bit of an itch, poor guy. Uh, and um, so the story goes like this. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's definitely a true story, right? In terms of the teachings behind it. Napoleon walks by a shul on Tishabav. Uh, here's the Jews in there praying and crying. He turns to somebody and says, what's going on in there? He said, well, the Jews are mourning and praying for the reconstruction of, mourning the destruction of the temple and praying for its reconstruction. So Napoleon said, oh yeah, not knowing much about Jewish history, when did that happen? Eh, about 2,000 years ago. He said, what? They're still crying? They're still dreaming? that people will survive. That's what's amazing. We never let the dream die. And that was through tefillah. Tefillah, wherever it was, they would fill themselves with all this positive thought, with this vision of what could be. Okay? And that's what Shemana Esrei is. Shemana Esrei is God's vision for the world. Right? Hashem wants you to have wisdom. Hashem wants you to have personal redemption. Hashem wants you to have good parnasa. Hashem wants you to be healthy. Hashem wants you to be an influence to the world. Whatever, we'll go through the various dreams. But the Shemana Esrei is our dream list. It's not our dream. It's Hashem's, so to speak, dream list. When we're davening, we're not trying to get Hashem to want what we want. We're not trying to get Hashem to adopt our vision for ourselves. When we're davening, what are we trying to do? We're trying to adopt Hashem's vision. It's very simple. It's perkei avot. Asei ritzono ritzoncha. Want what Hashem wants. Want what Hashem wants. And I already mentioned to you, you could sum up Yiddishkeit in 30 seconds and less, right? We learn Torah to know what Hashem wants. We dive into want what Hashem wants. We do mitzvahs to live what Hashem wants. If you know what Hashem wants, and you want what Hashem wants, and you live what Hashem wants, you get the big prize. The big prize is you have aligned your will, you have tuned your will into Hashem's will, and now you become a channel for Hashem's will and vision into the world. So whereby prayer is trying to change Hashem and get Hashem to want what you want, Tefillah is about changing yourself and getting yourself to want what Hashem wants. Prayer is trying to change Hashem's will. Tefillah is trying to channel Hashem's will. The more I want what Hashem wants, the more what Hashem wants becomes transmitted more into the world. Just like a radio. We are literally tuning ourselves into the vision of Hashem. The Ratzon Eloki, the will of Hashem. Right? That's why, interestingly enough, the word Ratzon, which means will, if you play this Kabbalistic game called Scrabble, also, play, also spells Tsinor. And what does Tsinor mean? Pipe. A Tsinor is a pipe. Now what does pipe have to do with Ratzon? Will is like a pipe. Right? That channels energy, life force into the world. Okay? So what did we learn? Lehit Palel has nothing to do with what most people understand as prayer. 
right? Most people are going to to shul, trying to um, 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 they're praising Hashem to uh, to flatter him, to get him in a good mood, feel good about himself. You know, you're really great, God. You're really great, God. And then we go in for the ask, right? Give me this and give me that, and give me that. Right? I just never could understand that. Right? You know, the first three brachas of Shemana Esra is praising Hashem. And I was told that the reason why we, you, know, you can't go to a king without first praising him, so you praise the king. Obviously, that is all self-interest you know, because you're going to praise the king, get him in a good state of mind, flatter him, boost his ego, and then go in for the ask. Right? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Right? Why do I praise Hashem so much? What, what's the whole point of praising Hashem? All that, all those psuki de zimra and all those praises? He's got such a big ego. Oh, they really like me, those Jews. Look what they said about me. I'm going to put that on my Facebook. <laughs> you know, like, you know, of course, God doesn't have Facebook because no man shall see my face and live. Right? But he has a back of a Facebook. Okay? And so, so what, 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 what is Hashem doing? Right? So why do I praise Hashem? Why do I praise Hashem? make yourself feel humble before him. It's for me. It's not for him. He doesn't need to hear this. I need to hear myself say this. Right? Right? And so I am asking Hashem for redemption because Hashem wants me to ask for redemption because Hashem wants me to want what He wants. And if I were in touch with myself, that is what I would want. Because what Hashem wants in my deepest, deepest depth is truly what I would want. If I knew who I am and I knew who Hashem is, of course, I would want what Hashem wants. Okay? For sure. Okay? So ask more questions. Yeah? Even going off the wrong assumption with this question, but the ideal um, of davening is that you should daven in Hebrew and understand the Hebrew, right? The ideal is yes, because your neshama is transformed in a much more powerful way through the language of Hebrew than the language of English. Okay? However, 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 uh, if you're not understanding any of it, uh, then I would suggest you um, do it in English, but pick some, um, some uh, signature prayers that you learn in Hebrew and start there. Like, for instance, you should by now be able to say the Shema in Hebrew and understand what you're saying, right? Uh, if not, well, that's a good place to start. Learn to understand what you're saying in the Shema. Just at least the words. We're going to go into the Shema in, in greater depth after we do Shema Esrei. Um, but, um, and then in the Shema Esrei, it would be good if you could get at least the first bracha in Hebrew. Learn the first bracha in Hebrew and understand what you're saying. Right, today you've got all these really great sidurim that are transliterated and whatever. You know, so that's really good. Do you mean Shema the Pasuk or Shema the entire, like... It would be great if you could just master the entire three paragraphs. Not a lot. It's not a yeah. lot. You could get it. Um, because to, to our, Judaism is claiming that our souls respond in a unique way and are transformed in a unique way through the language of Hebrew than the language of English. It's kind of like, you know, it's like to say to somebody, I love you, or Ani Evotcha, or Je t'aime, they have a different feeling, a certain different rhythm. Language has a certain different rhythm. So it, but if you're not understanding what you're saying, then say it in English. Say it in English. Um, Judaism does claim that even when you don't understand what you're saying, it has an impact on you. Your soul, the unconscious, knows what it's saying and is being aroused by these words, even though you don't consciously know what these words mean, your unconscious does. And so when you hear yourself saying these words to Hashem, it is arousing something from within your unconscious. And that's why, you know, you might pick certain prayers and say them in Hebrew even if you don't understand them. Okay? Okay. Now, but I want to get to Danny's question, right? About, so then what does it mean that I'm praying for somebody else? Right? So let's think about that. Let's think about that. Right? Should that know of such things? But, okay. Um, um, Moshe is not well. And uh, so I pray for Moshe. Moshe ben Sarah. Okay? Well, he's still not well. Okay? So I get a few more people to pray for Moshe. Moshe's still not well. Okay, so I get a gathering of people at the Kotel to pray for Moshe. Right? Well, Moshe's still not well. 
Well, so then we say, okay, God, you want to play hardball? Okay, I'm putting it on my Facebook page. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send this out. It's going to go viral. I'm going to get millions of people to bug you daily, three times a day, until you just can't take it. You'll hear Moshe Ben Sara every single day until you finally heal the guy. I mean, is that what we're trying to do? Twist the arm of God to try and change, get him to change his mind? And we think that the more people praying for Moshe, the more convincing we will be of Hashem? That's probably how a lot of people think. And that's why a lot of people aren't praying, because they say, I I can't believe in a God that needs all these people. Right? So, Rav Cook explains that when you are praying for Moshe, you are changing Moshe's status. How by, again, we're not praying for Moshe. When we're mitpalel from Moshe, we are literally transforming <coughs> Moshe. How can my prayers change Moshe? Again, we don't have to change Hashem because Hashem is only sending good. Right? Tov Hashem l'kol. Hashem is good to all. Rachamav kol masav. His unconditional love is on Everybody is distributed to everybody all the time. All the time. So, we don't have to change Hashem. Something's blocking. Something's getting in the way of the brach of health to get to Moshe. Okay? So, how are we going to change Moshe by davening for Moshe? Yes? Uh, perhaps what we're doing is Moshe being sick is still a blessing we just don't see it. So, by us praying to him, we're asking Hashem to help us recognize the blessing that he's sending out. Yeah, I know, but what, that, that it's really a blessing that he's sick and it will be good that he dies? I don't think so. We're changing Moshe because Moshe has now become a catalyst for so much more God consciousness. We are all becoming more focused and more connected and more aware. The more you believe that Hashem is the source of health and the more you want health for the right reason and Moshe is inspiring us to pray a little more about that. He's no longer the same guy. Right? Now Moshe is a catalyst for greater God consciousness. We've turned him into someone that can be more receptive to blessing because he is now a source of everybody else becoming more God conscious in the world. So we've actually changed him that way by him being that. So that's why the more people dominating for wow, that's giving him such merit that a person is putting in a few more words and acknowledging Hashem as the source of all blessing. Baruch Atah Hashem. Acknowledging Hashem as the source of the blessing of health. Right? Rafech Mo Yisrael. Right? And it's in his merit. We're literally increasing his merit by him becoming someone that so many people care that much about. I don't even know him, but that name, I'll do it. So that's how we're actually changing Moshe's status. He himself has become part of our consciousness by including him in our prayers, as well as he's become a motor, a motivator, right? That has now upped our game in our tefillahs. Yeah, Dan? I mean, it just sounds like you're saying, like, the reason people are sick is that more people pray to God. No, I didn't say that. I don't know why he's sick. There could be a million reasons why he could be sick. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I don't know why he's sick. But now that he is sick, the question is, how can prayer help him? And the answer is, because through us praying for him, we are actually transforming him. We're not changing Hashem. Well, can somebody share what I said? Because if, if, I, if you can't, then I'll say it again. Yes, go ahead, Dan. You're by people dominating for him, right? He's now become like the. Remember, we're talking about Chaptudavim before, right? He's become like an object of, of prayer, of elevating people's connection or consciousness of God, and that sort of gives him the merit to to be healed. Yes, not just be healed. It opens him up to the bracha of healing. Because he's no longer the same person. Before he was just a sick person. Now he's a sick person who is responsible for so many people becoming more and more God conscious. It's not like someone, and that's not like Hashem says, oh wow, that's really impressive. I'm gonna, now I'll give him some healing. I'm gonna change my mind. Oh, Hashem doesn't have to change his mind. Right? What's going to happen is this guy is becoming transformed into 
a, um, a, um, a motivator of greater consciousness in the world. So before he was just Moshe ben Sara. Now Moshe ben Sara is one who brings, is, is an influencer of greater Hashem consciousness. And now like Hashem says, wow, now I'm pressed again. It's not that. It's literally we've kind of rewired his life and give it a new definition. Before he was a sick man. Now he's not just a sick man. He's a, he's a sick man, but this man is inspiring so much spiritual awakening that he's a different person. He's a, he's a catalyst now. Uh, he's now a catalyst for greater awareness. Yeah. But does that really help him, I guess, get better and get healed? Yes, in fact, you can Google this. They've actually done experiments on when people pray for people and the people don't even know that people are praying for them. They, heal, they, heal. they actually get healed. But how? Because we're, if we're saying well, that's because our consciousness, which is a talk for our Machshava class, is all interfaced. Uh, right? You see, right this very second, there's a fellow of mine by the name of Paul Byers from Columbia University. And he did something where he proved what he calls the conversational dance. What he did is he videoed a talk like this. People in a room and a speaker. He videoed it and then he did microanalysis of the video and he proved that right this very second everybody in this room is moving in perfect synchronicity with every syllable that comes out of my mouth. And he called it the conversational dance was basically showing that what seems to be in your mind me speaking and you passively listening is not true, right? This talk is being presented by all of us. I happen to be in this organism, the mouth of this organism, but all of us uniting in consciousness and being focused and having the thirst of knowledge and the desire to grow, that's what's enabling me to be the channel for the class, okay? And I can give the same class to a group of people and it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Right? I, lose my fran- I, lose my, I lose my train of thought. It just doesn't happen. Because I've experienced as a public speaker for 40 years already right? that there's something happening in the y- union of consciousness in the room whereby our minds are not separate, but they're cells in a supermind. Right? And therefore, when you are praying for somebody else, you are in some way, you know, becoming more conscious to this connection, and they are becoming more absorbed into some more collective awareness. That's very metaphysical, but there's a lot of a lot of very metaphysical things going on in the world. For instance, uh, they have seen that there is a distribution of wisdom in the world. Okay, there is a uh, experiment called the hundredth monkey. You can look this up. The hundredth monkey is there were these monkeys on a on a on a island, and they threw they they dropped from a plane filthy coconuts, that were just like coated with dirt, with mud and dirt. Well, one monkey swished it in water and realized, oh, this is a coconut. Then another monkey, when the hundredth monkey did that. All the monkeys on the island knew to do it even though they had never even seen the hundredth monkey do this. Right? So there is experiments that are showing that consciousness becomes distributed. In other words, there are laboratories that are discovering all kinds of scientific, you know, chidushim, um, you know. And then within a day, another laboratory on the other side of the world comes up with the, the same research with no, con- with no connection whatsoever. Right? So our minds are interfaced and we are not separate. Our bodies are trying to convince us that we're separate, but we're not. That's why it's so powerful when you sit in the Cheder Choshech and you sing these Nugunim. What are you experiencing? You're experiencing a profound truth that in a deep place we are actually part of oneself. And we're all part of one mind. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the Machshava class. But more questions. Yes? It feels like we're actually all connected. Actually, we're all connected. Always. The question is, some of us know it, and some of us don't know it. Okay? Yeah? Back to the person becoming a catalyst for the God, awareness, and all that. Now, what if, say, you have someone who is sick and 
has hundreds of people dominating them, thousands, but they don't get better. It's not Hashem's plan. But are they still becoming a catalyst for? Yes, they are a catalyst. They are catalysts, but it could be that their time has come to leave the world. And I know that nobody wants to leave the world, but nobody's getting out of here alive, you know. And uh, it's just the way it is. And we're just passing through. We're just passing through. You know, some of the greatest rabbis died before 40. The Arizal didn't make it to the age of 40 when you're allowed to study Kabbalah. You know what I mean? The Arizal died before 40. Rabbi Nachman of Bretzlov died before 40. I believe the Ramchal died before 40. You know, and so does that mean they were evil people because they had a short life on this planet? Clearly not, right? Clearly not. And we'll talk about that in another time. There's a lot to share on that, but not for now. Uh, So if a person leaves this world, then even after our prayers, do we say, well, then our prayers didn't help at all? No, no. It's just that's what was the best scenario for them, as painful as it is for everybody and the orphans left behind. Extremely painful. And But someday, somehow, we'll be able to look back at it all and see how this was actually all good. As it says, Hodu Hashem ki tov. Praise Hashem, thank Hashem, for He is good. Ki leolam chazdo. Because His kindness is forever. What does that mean, because His kindness is forever? Hodu Hashem ki tov. Ki leolam chazdo. What if I don't see the tov? Well, there's lots of times we don't see the tov. Well, so then why should I thank Hashem for the Tov? Because Ki Leolam Chazdo, because His Chesed is for when? Never. Forever. And therefore, what's happening to you is what? Forever. Forever. And what's that mean? You see, some people do you a favor because it helps you now. But later on, you'll see it was terrible. Right? You thought that was really great. Right? But later on, you might look back and say, wow, that was horrible. Right? Hashem's chesed is le'olam. Hashem is taking care of you for the long haul, for the forever scenario. And therefore, there are things that are happening right now that doesn't feel like chesed. But this that's happening to now is because Hashem is setting you up for a life that is good forever. Right? It's for the long term. And uh, that's what we're saying. Ki le'olam His His chesed is focused on the Forever, the big picture, yeah, the, the big plan, the long term, not just the short term. Let's take another question. Yeah, no? What about two people where they have competing interests, where like one is not happy, the other is happy, and vice versa? Um, how, and God's planning the long term for both of them, but no matter what God does, like, like you can't necessarily use that to say, not you specifically, but in general, like, is it fair to say, well, let me be very, very clear. I would never say that to a person. When a person's in pain, you just empathize with their pain. Right? But in terms of when a person themselves goes through pain, what's going to help them get through this? I mean, there are a good few people that turn to me because I'm a rabbi, and they think rabbis have all the answers to everyone's problems, right? And that's just not true, except in my case. Uh, but of course, I don't have the answers to everybody's problems, right? And there are people that are really, really in pain, and I get this a lot, you know? So there's one particular person that I've been trying to coach and support and, you know, whatever. And um, they're really very devastated, and they are going through, nobody wants the script, they are really going through multiple and pretty consistent, very, very hard events in their life. So I said, listen, this is your choice. I'm not telling you what choice to make. But these are the choices. One choice is there is no God, and all this is meaningless. None of this is, has any purpose, and it's all random, and you just have bad luck. That's one way to go. Right? Another is, there is a God, and He hates you. Right? Or another way is, there is a God, and He enjoys afflicting you. Or another way is, there's a God, and He is, a, he has the, he is the mastermind, and um, 
And there's some meaning to this madness, but we don't know what it is. But someday, you'll see the purpose and the benefit in it all. Now, we don't, I'm not suggesting which one of these is true. But what does this do to me emotionally? When you think there is no God, and there's no purpose to any of this, and this is all just random, how does that make you feel? I asked this person. Makes me feel terrible. Okay. Well, how about the one, the, the other option, that God just hates you? When you think that thought, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel horrible. Okay, well, how about this one? There is a God, and He is a sadist, and He loves afflicting people. How does that make you feel? She said, actually, that one feels... No, she said, that makes me feel really horrible and helpless and hopeless. Okay, well, what about there is a God, and He is a mastermind, or He is the mastermind, and there's some meaning to all this madness, even though we don't know what it is, but someday you will see the blessing in it all. How does that make you feel? Well, it gives me hope. Okay. Well, so you got to choose what you believe. And since you can't prove, even though I think I could give more evidence for the last position, but let's say you can't prove any of them. Let's say they are equally not provable. But this is your life. And you have to choose what you believe. Why choose a belief that gives you a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness? Why do that to yourself? Why do that to yourself? When you can't know for sure that the other ones are right or wrong. So why not choose one that works? At least, even though I still believe there's a lot more evidence that would back up the last choice that there is a God and there's a plan. But let's, I'm not going there. I'm not trying to, I told this person, I'm not trying to prove there's a God. Right? I'm just telling you, psychologically, the healthiest way to go about this is to focus on trying to see this as meaningful and try and use in this situation you're in as an opportunity for some kind of growth. It's right? best you can do. So when, a per- when two people are going through different things, I, I don't know. Right? I-, I don't know. I can only describe what Torah says. Right? And again, I said before, my job as a rabbi is to, pre- to describe Judaism, not to prescribe Judaism. To prescribe it, that's up to you. I'm just going to describe it. I have prescribed it for myself. But I can't prescribe it for you. I can only describe it. If you describe Torah and its sources, it's telling you that lehit palel is not to change Hashem and convince him of something and get him to change his mind. He doesn't need to change his mind. He's made up his mind. He's only going to give you the best. But, depending on how you lead your life will determine how, what that best is. Right? Could be the best thing for you now is to lose that job. Was, was, was that the only opportunity? No. Maybe if you would have changed your life, then a different best would have come into your life. Okay? Uh, we're finished. That's it for now. Shkoyach.